Welcome to Dispatch Live. Ryan told me to count down from five, and I've been counting so much with Nate tonight, I lost count. So hopefully we are live now, and this is about what a five count is by the time you're joining. Um, Nate, at this point, can count to 10. And so we count to 10 over and over and over, and all of the words lose meaning for me, actually, in a way that if you, you know, stare at any four or five letter word, they just, I have to stare at the word live a lot. That one really starts looking like Roman numerals to me after a while, I guess, because they almost all are. Joining us tonight, we've got a great pre-midterm show. We're going to have the reporting half hour here at the top. Audrey and Price, our two reporters, are going to give us some field reporting on some of the latest campaigns. Andrew, our editor, associate editor, that's the title, <laughs> uh, associate editor, also with lots to weigh in on, on his campaign reporting. And then, obviously, Chris Steyerwalt, contributing editor, author of Steyerwaltisms, the ying to my sweep yang, uh, will be joining us for his thoughts as well. And then for the back half hour, we're just gonna do some rank punditry with a lot of the other guys joining us. But let's start. Audrey, uh, you've been reporting on a lot of these races. Most recently, the sweep came out today and you were talking a lot about sort of that balance between coattails and ticket splitting. Will you explain a little what you were writing about? Sure. Yeah. We started off by, uh, on that topic, kind of talking about Pennsylvania, which is a really fascinating, uh, state this cycle, obviously getting the most coverage aside from Georgia. Um, you know, it's kind of coming down to the wire in the Senate race, uh, with Fetterman's stroke and crime really kind of helping, uh, Oz come within striking distance of that seat. And it's really a toss up. Um, but one thing that's kind of throwing a wrench in that race for Oz, right. Is Doug Mastriano, who's this really far right state Senator, who's barely raised any money, has not been on the airwaves at all, really not a strong candidate. Um, and so he's one of those uh, candidates who's really kind of making it difficult uh, for a Republican candidate who, you know, otherwise perhaps could be, could be doing better in the polls. Um, there are a lot of, so we're, we're likely to see a little bit of ticket splitting um, in Pennsylvania among suburban educated voters in particular. And we're likely to see that dynamic play out in several other states, um, for example, in Arizona, perhaps, um, you know, even Iowa. Um, and so there are a lot of interesting coattail dynamics that are going on in a lot of battleground states. I mean, a lot of the times we don't think of coattails and ticket splitting as being different sides of the same coin, Chris, in part because we've always been headed in kind of the same direction, right? Like becoming like uh, more and more coattails, less and less ticket splitting as sort of partisanship is increased. And I think in the Fetterman race in particular, and the Herschel Walker won only a close second. Um, to me, that's the most interesting question right now on election day will be, does partisanship win and people will simply vote for the candidate with the letter next to their name? Or does this open up a world of ticket splitting that we simply haven't seen since 2014 at this point? Any real ticket splitting? Um, I'm curious, just from your sort of historical, and obviously by historical, I mean old uh, person, uh, if you agree with that sort of coattails versus ticket splitting phenomenon. Well, I've seen a lot in these 46 years. Uh, I've seen a lot, seen a lot. <laughs> I've seen this. I've seen the stars off Orion's shoulder. Um, <clears throat> I guess I would say 
governorships are very different. People feel differently about sending kooks to Washington than they do about having kooks govern their home state. <laughs> and uh, the most Democratic state in the country, Vermont, uh, is going to reelect a Republican governor by a doughty margin this year. Uh, Kansas might reelect a Democratic governor, and Kansas is about as Republican as Mississippi. Um, uh, Massachusetts and Maryland uh, both are, are bidding adieu to very popular Republican governors. So uh, playing out of position on governorships is not as big of a deal because, again, I <clears throat> if Herschel Walker, if the roles were reversed, if Herschel Walker was running for governor of Georgia, he would lose, right? Uh, if, well, I don't know, Stacey Abrams pretty heinous, but it would be, it would be a very different race than the one that Brian Kemp uh, is in in Georgia. And if um, uh, Fetterman were running for governor of Pennsylvania, it would be a very different story too. So I, I think voters are able to sort that a bit. Um, I think the coattails phenomenon is about a strong candidate with a strong organization. And here, let's think about Wisconsin. Um, what Scott Walker and Paul Ryan were able to do on the state level in Wisconsin had benefits on the federal level, right? It had benefits for Trump in 2016. It also helped put Ron Johnson in the US Senate. So uh, coattails can really be the result of good organization and stuff like that. I don't know how this goes. If I had to guess at this moment, but this probably changes hour to hour, if I had to guess, I would say that the Senate races will revert to partisan type and that the Republicans will win in Georgia and the Democrats will win in Pennsylvania. But I don't know on the Senate race. I don't know. So but we it is important to remember that voters do think of the uh, governorships and federal offices differently. Andrew, I just particularly love the balance that we have between Georgia and Pennsylvania. They're mirror images. And so you can't. Um, the consistency that is required of someone talking about these races makes me really happy. You have a strong Democratic gubernatorial candidate in Pennsylvania and a very flawed Democratic Senate candidate. Go to Georgia, you've got a strong Republican gubernatorial candidate and a very flawed Republican senatorial candidate. Um, so when it comes to ticket splitting for me those races look really similar i'm curious what what you think and where you've seen some voters at in those so one yes absolutely um i i think it's interesting that that we're landing on that as the analysis now um it really shows how much the kind of idea of the pennsylvania senate race has swung i mean a couple months ago you would have thought oz was the uh the, the the candidate who had the most kind of negative uh, externalities there. Um, just, well, don't forget, as of the end of the summer, heading into Labor Day, that was a plus nine race for the Democrats. Fetterman was up nearly double digits um, when he wasn't campaigning. Right, right. No, I mean absolutely, and and I think that I mean it's 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 relatively easy to explain, you know, why Georgia has has gone the way it has. I mean, Herschel Walker uh, has you know, stepped on basically every rake uh, it's possible for a candidate to step on on a personal level. I mean, it's just it's just been one thing after another. Um, but at a certain point, uh, <laughs> if you've stepped on enough, I mean, it's, it's almost like what you saw with Donald Trump in, in 2016, right? It's like they it, it, it's almost a, an armor after a while that each subsequent rake doesn't really change your opinion of the guy as much. You kind of start to think, OK, I've, I already know he's uh, got got these personal foibles and and, you know, 
that kind of recedes in your mind a little bit. Meanwhile, maybe the economic pain is not the sort of thing that that you think of as old news, even though it's been happening for a while. Every time you open your wallet, you're like, ah, dang it. Um, I, I got gas today. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so uh, and then I think on on the Fetterman side of things, um, it's been just the opposite. I mean, it's it's only since uh, the debate that he had that it has really come to the fore just how um, much of a road he has left to walk to kind of get back to, to full function after his stroke. Um, and so I, I, it hasn't been the same thing where, where people had a lot of time to make their peace uh, um, with, okay, well, you know, I, cl clearly this is all troubling, but, you know, this, that, and the other thing are, are, are driving me to still vote for the guy. So I think he might, he might be kind of a victim of bad timing in that respect. I think when... Um Oh, sorry. Uh, I just want to answer a couple of quick questions. Uh, Paul Beltman asked, could the crew give a solid definition of ticket splitting? I didn't vote for Trump or Biden, but otherwise I voted GOP. Did that split the ticket or would it only count if I'd voted for Biden? Hmm. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's, un, there's an undervote, which is where you skip, and there'll be tons of undervotes uh, in races in Pennsylvania and Georgia and elsewhere. Arizona, which we'll is, see lots of undervotes. Now, <clears> which is why, by the way, just because um, even if the uh, if Shapiro wins and Oz wins in Pennsylvania, so a Democratic gubernatorial candidate and a Republican Senate candidate, that does not necessarily mean that there was any ticket splitting going on. You've got to look at the actual number of votes, those undervote uh, races. It's a little unlikely to have enough undervotes um, in a Senate race, but if there ever was a time, this would be it. So you can't just jump to the conclusion based on the outcome. You do have to actually look at some of the underlying data. So yeah, split ticket in this case is actually that the same person votes for candidates from different parties. But Chris, would you count someone who voted third party and then voted GOP? I mean, it doesn't matter because <laughs> you, it, it's it's not it's a, not a scientific term. You know what we mean when we say ticket splitting. We mean that you split your votes between the parties. You want to have the split be with Eglish McMuffin and somebody else and somebody else. This is all fine. Do whatever you want. It doesn't actually matter. But in this case, I do think the undervotes are going to be the ones to watch uh because when you combine the ticket splitters with the undervotes and by the way you'll get undervotes going in both directions uh it could make the difference or of course i would point out i think a good thing for everybody to remember when you're talking about these senate races let's say there are five or six competitive senate seats the toss-ups most of them are going to go to the same party right uh, if there's six, you know, four or five at least are going to go in the same direction. The wind only blows one way. Now, it may not be blowing in the way that we think on the Senate. It may be going more Democratic than polls are catching, and there may be a late surge for that may break. I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that most of them are going to go the same way. Uh, and Price, you've been covering, frankly, the two Senate races that are getting the least amount of coverage per their importance. North Carolina, still very much a toss up. It feels like we've all just decided that's going to the Republicans, but there's not actually a lot of data to support that it's going to the Republicans. I mean, even if you go with vibes of the state of North Carolina, it's been pretty purplish of late. Uh, that's a state that voted for Barack Obama in 2012. I remember that really well that night. Uh, and the other state you've been covering a lot of is Nevada, which has started to get its due. But frankly, again, not nearly as much considering it is the closest polling wise of any of the Senate races right now. 
Um, why do you think your states are getting ignored? Why aren't you doing a better job raising their profile? Uh, good questions. And I think they're sort of, yeah, each one is boring for different reasons. But first, a slight <laughs> correction. I'm pretty sure Obama won North Carolina in 08, but not in 2012. That's and correct. So North Carolina oh, I got those flipped, yeah. This reddish purple, weird. That's right. Romney won it by like they, one point. <laughs> right. Uh, and so Democrats have not done as good a job winning statewide, but the incumbent governor's a Democrat um, who won in 2016 and in 2020 when Trump was carrying the state. So Democrats are sort of always tantalized by can they win here? Um, and, you know, I think the Democratic candidate, Sherry Beasley, uh, very accomplished. She was the first African-American woman to be chief justice of the state Supreme Court. Um, is I think just sort of hoping like North Carolina can be purplish and I can sneak in. Um, and she's raised a lot of money. She has a big fundraising lead. Um, and as far as I know, hasn't done anything particularly crazy on the campaign on the campaign trail. Uh, I thought the debate for that race was interesting it, in no, part because I was the only person who watched it. Um, but also, uh, you know, Bud, the Republican, sounded like a polished politician and she didn't and uh you could see that cutting either way frankly right i i think uh so i was also one of the only people watching that debate uh and yeah i mean i was struck by first the the fact that it didn't feel like a debate at all and it felt like each of these candidates is speaking to their own separate audience just to cut their sound bites uh it, they yeah. were not acting like <laughs> You know, if you actually want to engage with the other candidates' ideas, you would have done it differently. Um, but Bud has a, I mean, he's a sort of backbencher member of Congress, um, but comes off decently well as a retail politician. And he was just sort of rehearsing the same things that he always talks about on the stump. Um, and then, but Beasley, uh, and I think it may be partly just sort of a judicial temperament, like she's been a career judge, has never held elected office, it just isn't as used to engaging with people in that way. So, um, I mean, I, she may just be temperamentally less flamboyant. And then Bud comes across as a nice guy and sort of wants to keep things boring because he wants to be elected to, as a generic Republican. Uh, but he's endorsed by Trump. And when it's convenient to him, he'll sort of, you know, tout that endorsement. Um, so that's the North Carolina side of things. And then in Nevada, um, it's interesting you, with you guys were talking about the uh, situation with coattails. Um, where it's very clear, like in Pennsylvania, Fetterman might be trying to ride Shapiro's coattails, or in Georgia, Walker's trying to ride on how well Kemp is doing. I have no idea what the situation is in Nevada, <laughs> uh, where <laughs> Catherine Cortez Masto is a first-term incumbent Democratic senator, Steve Sisolak is a first-term incumbent Democratic governor, um, and they won in the blue wave year in 2018, um, but I don't think are really seen as particularly strong candidates and particularly around sort of handling of COVID in the economy in a hospitality, hospitality industry heavy state, um, you know, aren't necessarily super popular. So I, it's hard to say that one of them is going to carry the other across the finish line. Um, and again, Laxalt, kind of like Bud, is a Trump-endorsed guy uh, who has just sort of tried to come across as I'm a normal person. <laughs> so we'll see. And Andrew, we didn't get your read. We, we got your read on Georgia to a large extent, but we didn't get your read on Arizona, the other state that you've been really focused on. 
Well, so this was, I, I was interested to ask Chris um, because what his thoughts are in Arizona, because what we seem to be seeing right now is almost uh, the exception to the rule he was laying out before where people tend to be, uh, you know, more tolerant toward kooks uh, when they're sending them to Washington. Because in, in Arizona, uh, Carrie Lake is the Republican uh, gubernatorial candidate, at least as kooky as Senate candidate Blake Masters. Um, okay, the, the kookiness of a different flavor. She may be flakier. It's possible that she is flakier, but kookier. I got to give Masters the, I got to give Dr. Bitcoin the edge on this one. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, Dr. Bitcoin is good because, because Carrie Lake is, is her kookiness is all, um, kind of like like boomer who watches a ton yeah, of it's Fox your, News it's your it's your of. neighbor's aunt's facebook right. feed is right. what is what carrie lake has got right and 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 blake masters is is you know that aunt's very right-wing son's uh reddit account or something you like that so it's like two Perfect. very different two Perfect. very different uh brands but anyway all, all that to say carrie lake is the one who is polling um uh disproportionately ahead of her Democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs, uh, for the governor's seat. Blake Masters is doing okay. I mean, he's, he's far better positioned in the polls than he was a couple of weeks ago. A um, month ago, uh, people were sticking a fork in the campaign. Mitch McConnell was pulling his ad dollars out, sending them elsewhere. We've talked a lot about that. Um, you know, despite all that, Blake Masters is, is you know, hot on the heels of, of Senator Mark Kelly. Um, but, you know, Carrie Lake's the one, if there's going to be a ticket split scenario there, she's the one who's, who's, who's in the lead. So I was curious what, what Chris thought about all that. Well, the uh, Democrats have a trash candidate for governor. Uh, she is a wreck. Uh, Katie Hobbs wouldn't debate. They chose a person. It's the fact that Democrats put the 2020 election as their top issue in choosing their secretary of state. They're crusading MSNBC, uh, basically a contributor. Uh, and then she won't debate, right? She won't talk to Carrie. And she's, well, she's been on TV all this time. And if I went on to debate her, I would only legitimize. And it's like, no, ma'am, that's not, that's not how it goes. Uh, you don't get to not debate. She's terrible. And Carrie Lake is good on television because she was on the local Fox affiliate in Phoenix for like 20 years. And do you know, the only thing that old people love more than the local news, voting. They love voting more. The only thing that they love more than the local news, traffic and weather together, uh, and, 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 and spunky gals with pixie haircuts uh, is voting. And man, do they go vote. And uh, Democrats should think long and hard about what they've done in Arizona. Um, the, the, the hunger that they had for election denying kooky candidates uh, was palpable in the spring, right? Ooh, we're gonna get, just like Mastriano, we're gonna get these, we're gonna get these weak draws and then we're gonna knock them off in the general. Well, uh, right now it looks like Arizona, one of the key swing states for 2024, may have a absolute election denying, full-blown full stop the stilo uh, as its governor. And that's going to make things really hard for the rest of the country, right? That could make things really challenging for everybody else. So I think there's an object lesson there in Democrats uh, for be careful what you wish for or uh, spend money on, number one. Number two, um, Mark Kelly is a good candidate. He, he does good constituent services. He works hard in his job. He moderates his position to try to match the state. The 
the fact that Arizona has two Democratic senators is reflective of of the shift that has happened in Arizona politics. It's also reflective of the revulsion to uh, Trumpism and nationalism among an older set of more affluent retirees in Maricopa County and elsewhere. But the other thing it's reflective of is candidate quality. Mark Kelly's a good candidate. Kristen Sinema is a good candidate. They know how to run for office and this stuff matters and we can't pretend like it doesn't. Sarah, the wow. one other thing I'd say about Arizona, just because yeah. it ha- happened today, um, it may not matter, uh, maybe matters just a little bit on the margins. There was a libertarian candidate running, Mark Victor. Uh, he dropped out today. He dropped out and he endorsed Blake Masters. Um, he's, you know, he's grabbing a point or three in the polls. Um, he'll still be on the ballot. Not everybody's going to see that he did this. Some people who see that he did this might vote for him anyway. I mean, you're not voting for a libertarian unless you are wanting to cast a protest vote to begin with. But you never know. It's a close race. Uh, could help Blake Masters in a little bit. So let me make sure I get to some more questions. Um, state constitutional amendments and what effect, if any, those have. I think in a normal year, my answer to that would be they turn into sort of niche issues for certain voters. Sometimes it pulls new voters in um, because they're aware of that niche issue. You know, maybe it's funding for their school or something like that. This year, because so many of those constitutional amendments or ballot measures are about abortion, I am very interested to see uh, what effect they have, in part because I actually think we have, and I've said this before, very little actual data on the effect that abortion will have on this race, is having, and that especially it will annoy me afterward when someone wins or loses and they're like, aha, see abortion. You're like, no, that is not the way to judge that question. I found it very frustrating after Glenn Youngkin won in Virginia and everyone's like, it was CRT. I'm like, it might've been, I get that's what he ran his ads on, but there's a lot of other things it could have been. And simply looking at what someone ran their ads on and saying, that's why they won the race misses, you know, like 80% of the other stuff going on. Um, In this case, uh, in the analysis of the television ads that both sides have run, it is the case that abortion is the number one thing mentioned in Democratic ads. It won't surprise you to hear that on the Republican side, it is the economy, inflation, all of that. Um, So there's no doubt that Democrats are pushing it as an issue, but the actual success of that campaign will be really hard to pull apart. This is where the constitutional amendments become really handy if we can get data like we saw in Kansas that told us a lot about split ticket voting in that case, uh, high turnout, we got some gender breakdowns later, all of that would be really, really helpful. So um, that's why I'm interested in the constitutional amendments, them sort of failing or not failing, um, or even the details of what they're about, frankly, not that interesting to me, but it, it provides us this marker on the ballot that we're gonna be able to, to look at real data about. Chris, this one's to you, although I'll, I'll warn you that I just taped a remnant with Kristen Soltis Anderson, and this is this is the end of ours. Oh, my bartender has arrived. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> um, what exit poll stories should we ignore next week? Spoiler, the answer is all of them. Um, so obviously exit polls, we, there are, if enough people don't exit the poll. One, actually, it, it points to a really interesting question, which is there will be more people voting early in absentee this cycle than there were in the previous midterm of 2018. How many more? Uh, what are the long-lasting effects of the pandemic? 
in terms of voting habits because people love convenience voting. Holy smokes, do they love convenience voting. In 2016, 40% of votes were earlier absentee. And that was before, long before the pandemic. So that increases by 50%. That goes to 60% of all votes. The, the clear majority, the super majority of all ballots in 2020 are cast early in absentee. That's going to go down, I expect, but not by that much. So that poses interesting uh, challenges for exit polls. Um, there's a Republican response bias. The, uh, the Republican response bias in exit polls long predated the Republican response bias in polls at home. Um, I Say more about that. You mean Republican response bias, meaning in the same way that we see Republicans under respond by roughly right. 20% in polls that we talk about every day and exit polls, same thing as you're walking out of the polling place, the Democrats are simply more likely to take five minutes to answer those questions and Republicans walk to their car. So we're not going to do, don't pay any attention to exit polls. I, the So Fox News does its voter analysis, which I think can be very useful, but none of that is exit polling. And the uh, even the exit polls now are not much exit polling. They're a lot more just uh, polling at home. I care about these things to see more about demography than issue sets. Issue sets can be important, um, but- But real quick, Chris, do you mean you care on election night as we start seeing it, or you care about the re-weighted exit both, polls? Both, so- What I do you look for on election night? How white is the electorate uh, is but a If they're not re-weighted, what does that really help you? I'm sorry, what do you mean? Um, if they haven't weighted the exit polls, like what you're actually seeing on election night is such raw data from those exit polls. We generally say that those are not that helpful on demographics. So what you do uh, is that you match up the results of the poll in exit polls, you match up the, the results of the poll with targeted precincts to see how right. it's going, to see how accurate uh, the poll is and how consistent it is with real results. And uh, that that can tell you how close to the mark you are. And by the way, if the poll needs to be reweighted. But uh, yeah, obviously, once you get a picture of how white the electorate is, that will basically tell you how Republican the electorate is. Uh, that will be useful. And it will also be useful going forward. Uh, what does the electorate look like? And what are the shifts among key demographic groups? One of the big questions both parties are going to be looking at, uh, how much of the, the shift among Hispanic voters, insofar, by the way, as the term Hispanic voter remains useful. Uh, now that we're at the point of talking about white Hispanics uh, versus non-white Hispanics, and we're, we're in a pretty, we're in a pretty uh, rarefied space when we talk about this kind of stuff. So I care about the exit. I, voter analysis is the term I'm going to use because exit nobody ex if people don't exit the polls, you can't exit polls uh, or you can't do exit polling. I care about the demography, the issue set voting. Did you care more about A, B, C or D? I don't know. C, blah, blah. You know, voters are complicated. They have complicated motivations for doing things. And as Sarah points out, those will be rankly overinterpreted. This is why the this election won. It's well, it's a million things and it all goes together. So maybe don't overstate it too much. Oh man, I'm having a flash forward to election night where before we have election results, they'll say exit polling showed that 47% of people said abortion was an important factor in their vote. And you're like, that is meaningless. That tells me nothing. Well, that uh, will tell you, you if, if you want to, if you're looking for clues early in the evening, 
you're a civilian at home, you're looking for clues. If 47% of people said that abortion was an important factor in their votes, Democrats would be happy, right? That would, that would, they, they would say, oh, that's good. Okay. So that's a driver that's out there. So that would be, that Except would be. Except that a could mean Republicans picking that, like saying it is an important factor. I just, I, so yeah, first of all, 47% wouldn't tell me much because it's such a like mid-level number. Um, second, you could have Republicans mixed in there. I mean, same with that uh, poll they did on threats to democracy. Who all thinks, you know, there's big threats to democracy out there and like 70% say yes. And they're like, how many of you think it's Republicans? 28%. How many of you think it's Democrats? 31%. Not and I don't care which one was higher at that point. The point is, if you just saw the 70%, you'd think, oh, wow, everyone thinks January 6th was a big problem and Donald Trump's a big problem. And it's like, no, no, they think Democrats are a threat to democracy. Um, so that's why I hate issue polling, which we all know. Um, okay, this is an important question. Andrew, I'm coming to you with this one. How long will it take after Tuesday's polls close to know who controls the Senate. Oh, well, how fortuitous. I'm writing a piece and filing it uh, tomorrow on exactly this question. I mean, it, it, might, it might be a few days, right? Um, it depends, depends on all, it, it might could be, be a few much days longer. Till we see your piece or a few days until we know the election. It could be a few days after election day. <laughs> uh, it, it could be as long as several months and that depends on whether or not uh, everything shakes out to be a, you know, a 49-50 split one way or the other and Georgia goes to a runoff, which could happen. Um, in fact, it's probably statistically pretty likely to happen um, that uh, not not that exact scenario, but Georgia going to a runoff um, because in Georgia you need uh, to hit 50% plus one voter uh, to be elected, uh, and if that doesn't happen, you uh, you kick it a couple months to the top two vote getters go head to head, uh, and that happened in 2020 in both Georgia Senate races, as we've discussed many times before and on this call. A uh, couple of flawed, uh, well, in particular, flawed Republican candidate in Georgia in an otherwise very good Republican year. Uh, the libertarian there, uh, Chase Oliver, polling, you know, as much as five percent in 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 a lot of polls right now. I doubt he gets that, uh, you know, in the actual totals. But he could very easily yank both Warnock and Walker down under the fifty percent threshold. Um, so then you're left with, okay, are Republicans already at 51, 52 seats without uh, Herschel Walker? Um, and to know that. Um, it's uh, it could be a repeat of 2020 where it takes a few days to get all the mail in ballots tallied. Hey, what, a lot of what's going on with the Arizona hand count? How long is that going to take? Are they, are, that, they, are, they, are they renting out the fairground again uh, and bringing out sulky racers to haul the ballots around? That's bizarre. So I, I actually now that you mention it, the I, I know less about I should know more about the Arizona hand count. I know less about the Arizona hand count than I do about the Nevada one that has which been, does which does sound like a martial arts move. I'm into that. I gave her the I gave her the old Arizona hand count. <laughs> so both both Arizona and Nevada have put forward these um, uh, basically stop the steal born efforts to say we don't trust the machines that count all our ballots these days. We're going to not only uh, count the ballots by machine, we're also going to count them by hand. Um, and actually, I should know, but don't, how those two things interact in Arizona. Because in Nevada, the plan all along was to go forward with the machine count, have the machine count be the official count. But they were also going to do this big hand count and just make sure they matched. Uh, but it's run into a ton of uh, logistical and legal issues and has been kind of stopped now. And it's not clear what the future of that is. Um, Arizona is going forward with theirs. Um, the, the Secretary of State, uh, uh, Mark Burnovich, who was uh, beaten out by Blake Masters in the primary, 
uh, for Senate has said it's going to go forward. Um, it's it's a boondoggle because nobody who wants this to happen has a correct sense of how intensely, just how unbelievably labor intensive it is to do a whole hand count. Like it's it's a ton of work. I mean, like like the they they'd already they had already started it in Nevada and and there was a funny AP story. I think it was an AP story the other day that was basically just saying like all a bunch of quotes from all the people who had volunteered to do the hand count, like, oh my gosh, we've gotten through 25 ballots in two hours. What's going on here? Um, just because, you know, you make a mistake, you realize, you know, two different people counted the same pile of ballots and got different numbers. You got to go do the whole thing again. There's a lot of races to count. There's a lot of different things Whoa. to tally up. Um, so it's a, it's a whole huge mess. Uh, and that's, that's all that I can really say about it uh, right now. In, in Nevada in particular, the idea was we prove we can do it now and then we can get rid of the machines altogether the next election, which is another whole huge recipe for disaster. But it's gone so badly that I don't think they've necessarily gotten their proof of concept for that plan. So just uh, well, Audrey and Price. Oh, go ahead. sorry, Price. Yeah. I was going to say an interesting note that I was as I was looking at this earlier today is just um, there's this constant tension with states and their election laws between like how uniform do you want things to be across localities? versus giving local officials leeway to do things. So these are county-led efforts in Arizona and Nevada. Um, and the state you know, legislature could pass laws and say, you know what, we're just actually all gonna uniformly do the same thing. And that's actually what happened in, in Texas. People got upset that like, you know, Harris County curbside voting is gone. Well, that's because the state said, well, all the counties kind of have to do it the same way. So I, I, I'm curious to see after the election of Nevada and Arizona on the state level start fiddling with some of this stuff, but. That is that is the explicit goal, at least in Nevada, uh, yeah. because the uh, Jim Marchant, who's running for secretary of state in Nevada, uh, a total I mean, like like I, I don't know how you rank all these stop the steal types, these election denier types. But he is I mean, he's explicitly said, you know, if I were secretary of state before Donald Trump would have won Nevada. Um, three, you give him three Mastrianos. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So and, and you know, he's very caught up in all of this, like explicitly treating this hand count as a prelude to getting rid of all the machines, uh, I guess, in, in 24. Well, Audrey and Price, before we say goodbye to you, uh, let's get some rank punditry. What are your predictions at this point? You can do your states or you can do the overall uh, House and Senate who's controlling what the numbers are. Um, I think Republicans retake the House by at least, I think it'll be like, I don't know, 15 or so. And then I think that in the Senate, Republicans will hold 52. Um, I'm pretty bullish on that, but we'll see. Wow. Okay. Price? Uh, I'm going to also say Republicans will take both chambers. But if we're doing rank punditry, I'll bet the under. I'll say Republicans have 51. All right. Well, thank you two for joining us. We'll look forward to more stories. We've got, you know, a week left. I <laughs> guess. Thanks. And Steve, turn on your camera. Join us, friend. Steve. Steve. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. What What's you happening? got, Steve? Uh, I got smart water. Making you smarter. Good for what you. Do you. What do you have, Sarah? What is that? Good question. It was dropped off by the bartender who didn't tell me what it was, but... I mean, Steve, you know this. You can bet. Probably a Chateauneuf de Pop. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a Frenchie. <laughs> yeah.
But I want you to see, I want you to see what I've got. I ordered these. Do you recognize this cup? Of course. The From Pizza Shaky's Hut. Pizza. Yeah, the yes. Pizza, Pizza Hut, Hut cup. Yeah. yeah. Any, any, so they're available for purchase on the internet. And the satisfaction that I have, I may make, I may pour, start pouring my Coke Zero into a pitcher just to pour into these, uh, just like I'm at the, <laughs> just like I'm at the Pizza Inn on Washington Avenue uh, in Wheeling, West Virginia to get the Mexican pizza, which we thought was quite exotic quite exotic. <laughs> i mean that is really cool because the only other way you could drink out of one of those would be to actually eat at pizza hut which would be oh that's a hard pass sir that's a hard pass. i mean and i you know i come from i come from casey's pizza land um which is you know that's i good gas i like my cheap pizza, my cheap though. gas station pizza yeah but that's a good I mean, pizza hut yeah i've done enough to my body i don't think i need to subject it to pizza hut at this point andrew you're not from ohio i mean iowa what do you mean you come from casey's pizza land I, I, I lived, okay, I don't, I don't live in, my parents don't live in Iowa. My grandparents are all from Iowa and I lived for a big chunk of my childhood in Iowa. My, uh, I didn't know that. One side of my grandparents lives in Wetchier, Iowa, population like 400, uh, and the only restaurant in town uh, it, these anymore is a Casey's uh, gas station that sells pizza. I was going to say, restaurant seems like a, a very generous term here, and, but, but they do have Casey's in Illinois. I didn't know that either. They're out there. They're around. Okay. Uh, so I don't know why this is like a random memory that I have. Uh, Steve and Chris, y'all may remember this from 2016, but it's a little in the weeds. At one point, there was an attempted revolt against the RNC running the debates for the primaries. And so all of the candidates, uh, campaign managers agreed to meet in Old Town at this like nice steakhouse in Old Town, Alexandria, just outside of D.C., and uh, we, the Carly campaign, declined to attend that meeting. We just weren't like, it's not that we liked the RNC running the debates, but we also weren't basically going to have the former Scott Walker campaign run the debates. Uh, and so I needed at that point to like use us skipping that to like win some points. And we were just outside Pella, Iowa. Um, and I was like, we need to find a place like stat that I can like tweet out like where we are. So we picked Applebee's. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> it was the only place that was open that late by late i mean 8 30 ish <laughs> if i was a voter you would have lost me at applebee's if i voted <laughs> applebee's when it cost you bad that would have been real bad um so steve i want to talk about some of the undercovered races by which i mean washington oregon utah to some extent utah kind of had like its moment in the sun um is there a wave that's big enough that we could actually be talking a lot about those states on election night or maybe not? It's possible. Um, I think if, if you look at um, what we're seeing from, I mean, what we're seeing in the polling, but also what we're seeing from Democrats and where they're spending, choosing to spend their money right now tells us a, a lot, tells us a big part of the story. Um, and, you know, Tiffany Smiley in the state of Washington, she's long been touted uh, as potentially a competitive candidate by people in Washington, by activists in, in Washington. Um, by most accounts, she's acquitted herself quite well on the campaign trail. Um, but if we're talking about that race on election night, it will mean that Republicans have had a massive sweep, you know, plus 30 on the House side and, and maybe more. Um, 
uh, and, and, you know, 52, 53 total in the Senate. Um, I don't think that's out of the question. Um, Again, just See, what's interesting about that to me is because I think that's at least within the let's call it Overton window of possibilities at this point, not the most likely outcome, but it is an outcome that is at least feasible. That's where 2024, like I'm already at the next election, because if yeah. Republicans actually get Washington state and we're talking 53, 54 seats, because of the map in 2024, you're headed towards a filibuster-proof Republican majority in the Senate in 2024. Um, you know, those states up Montana, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, there's just a ton of red to middle of the road states that Democrats will all have to defend in 2024. So even if Democrats think they're gonna lose the Senate this time around next week, it'd be really important not to start giving away races um, just for that reason, because that would be a lot of pain in 2025 at the possibility of having a full Republican control potentially, but with a filibuster proof Senate that gets messy. It would be messy. I mean, look, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's terribly far-fetched um, th that kind of a, a big, Republican um, night. I, I think it's possible. We've talked quite a bit here and, and on the Dispatch podcast about how candidates matter. Um, I wonder if we're moving into an environment where candidates don't matter that much. Um, yep. the, the Republicans have a bunch of crummy Senate candidates. We've talked about them. You've named a few of them uh, before I joined you. Um, if it's the case that people care as much as they seem to care about inflation and the economy and Joe Biden and his governance. Um, you could you could see a scenario where I think Republicans do extraordinarily well, um, and and there are a lot of reasons to believe that that's what people care about. I mean, the right track, wrong track numbers that we've talked about, the generic ballot that we've we've talked about again. It's problematic in some ways. Hard to tell. The polling is um, challenging. I think. Uh, but I, I think if you look at these other sort of core fundamental numbers, they're bad, really bad for Democrats. And look, it's obviously, it's, you can also look at sort of atmospherics. I mean, Joe Biden is not out on the campaign trail much, right? Uh, there's a reason for that. If he were an asset, he would be. He's not an asset. And when he is, when he does speak, whether it's in a campaign context or like he did today, Oof. it's bad. It's bad. He's not, he's not doing well. Um, candidates would much rather have Barack Obama than Joe Biden come and campaign for them. Um, and, you know, we had this conversation in our internal uh, Slack messaging today. The, the question was, have, have Democrats sort of overplayed their hand on abortion? And there's some, you know, we were asking internally, is it possible that they put too much stock in, in Dobbs and the, the, the polling challenges that Republicans faced after the decision and really through the summer, it looked like. Um, and there's sort of a theory that maybe they overplayed their hands. The, the, the question posed back to that was, what else do they talk about? Like if you're, if you're running and you've got a week, like, let me ask you this question, sir. You're, you're managing a, a competitive Democratic Senate campaign. Actually, let me ask this of each of you. I do not mean to hijack this thing, but I'm very interested in your responses. 
you've got a week, you've got a closing argument, right? Like, let's say you've got tons of money, you can put, you can be on TV, you can do digital, you can be on radio. You're, you're crafting these closing speeches. You're running a Democratic candidate, sane Democratic candidate in a competitive race against a Republican. What do you, what do you focus on? What's your closing message if you're a Democrat right now, issue-wise, policy-wise? Oh, I mean, I think that's a trick question for me because obviously I think policy is pointless at this point. And I would try to make it a referendum on the Republican candidate. Um, so it wouldn't be a policy argument to the extent that I would uh, want a policy argument. And again, this is why I don't run Democratic campaigns, I suppose. Uh, I would have Joe Biden and I think it's a mistake. Um, I think it feels a little like the Clinton uh, problem where they kept him off the trail after, you know, 2000 and after. It's the most famous person in your party. Yeah, maybe people think he's a little bit whatever, but um, it'll be a big draw. It'll get people energized that the president's coming to their town. I think it's always a mistake to keep the president out of your campaign. But if, but if, he's, if his approval's at 38% or 40%, more people by a good margin, think he's doing yep. a crummy job than a good margin, than a good job. Yep, I think you that's where people ways. miss. I think the polls aren't aren't telling them what they think it's telling them. Yep, they're frustrated with Joe Biden. They'll still come to see him and it'll still be a big deal. But do you care if they come to see him? Yeah, because I think those people are then like, I'm moving those people from the event to the polls. That's like pretty standard ground game stuff. I'm gonna get their data. Um, you know, I would have done it maybe a week or two ago at this point, uh, or I'm going to do it right like next week and like literally have buses taking people to go vote, um, depending on how early voting works in their state. So what I would not do is continue running ads on abortion. I think it's a huge, huge mistake to think this is, uh, an election about issues on the democratic side. You guys, Chris or Andrew, if you had to run, if you had to pick an issue to focus your closing message on. What state? What would it be? It's a, you know, it's a generic state. No, no, we, no. We have no, to no, pick no. an actual ain't, state. Ain't, ain't, ain't no generic states, my friend. Uh, so if I'm in, um, if I'm, uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, she has a, she has a, 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 a great name. Uh running against Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Somebody asked Tudor Dixon. Tudor, yeah. Dixon. Yeah, Tudor Dixon. Tudor Dixon. Uh, the, uh, if I'm Tudor Dixon, I am talking about abortion uh, running against Gretchen Whitmer because there is a ballot measure on uh, up in Michigan that is really pretty extreme on the progressive side, right? Uh, pretty hardcore. Maybe I'm talking about that. Maybe that's a good fit in Michigan where even- oh, Wait, a you're running a Republican race. He made you run a Democratic race. I know okay. how I run a Republican race. So you have endless a, options, all the options. So if, I'm a, so if I'm a Democrat in, okay, so let's say if you're in Arizona, you make it about Blake Masters for sure. A hundred percent. If I'm Mark Kelly, I make it about Blake Masters. Um, if I am in Ohio, 
I would probably be talking about the Ukraine war. I'd probably be talking about uh, what's wrong with J.D. Vance. I'd be talking, I, I guess that would be another. I think Sarah's right. I think in most of these cases, you're going to try to DQ uh, the challenger or you're going to try to DQ the Republican that there's just something wrong with this person. Um, but I also think if I'm a Republican, I'm probably not doing issue ads either, right? Um, crime does work. Uh, crime has worked. So funny. I was going to say running a Republican ad, crime, 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 crime. <laughs> crime, crime does work, as I was saying. Um, but I think also this is the point where in these contested races, you need to tell people why they can't keep this person there, right? You, why Raphael Warnock can't stay um, and why I, I, I think at this point, you're so far into it. Uh, the ads are just wallpaper. They're oral wallpaper. It doesn't matter. They're making a lot of dirtbag consultants rich. Uh, by the way, if I could just say, speaking of dirtbag consultants, the people who are profiting from John Fetterman's candidacy in Pennsylvania should be ashamed of themselves. I understand why uh, his family would want him to stay and keep running. I understand why he would want to stay and keep running because you want to not give up the fight. And you want to say you gave the last full measure of devotion and it's your personal recovery is tied up in your political recovery. But the people who are going to buy their second boat with the money that they made from running a bajillion dollars worth of ad negative ads in Pennsylvania against Mehmet Oz uh, should really be ashamed of themselves. It's not cool. And they should have told him two months ago not to run. But I, I would just say when it comes to ads, by this point, it's super saturation. No one's paying any attention. The, the, time, to, the time where ads move numbers is in the summer when you can get it in and you can define your opponent and you can shape the issue set. I hate to uh, My follow. wine smells like potpourri. It like, tastes good, but the smell is really weird. It's like old man potpourri. Too flowery. Yeah, clovey maybe almost. The only I mean, issue thing it, obviously wouldn't be my style. <laughs> the only issue thing that I would say, um, and I agree that like the ship has largely sailed because, and it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, over the summer it really looked like maybe Republican or maybe uh, abortion was like an epoch shifting issue, uh, and and Democrats like got got you know, stars in their eyes and we're like, we're going to put everything in this messaging basket and maybe, you know, have a world historical win in November. Um, I, I, at least in the races I've followed, I've been surprised that uh, Democrats haven't been hitting Republicans harder on health care. Um, it's, uh, it's just as good or better on like all the all the issue polling. Sorry, Sarah. Um, more more voters say they care about health care than they say care they care about abortion, and it favors Democrats just as strongly. Republicans have face planted on the issue a number of times in the past few years, and it uh, is also crucially a, a, a strong economic issue. I mean, it matters um, to people's pocketbooks uh, in a really major way. So that's probably what I would. Uh, I think that's an extra brilliant point because the Venn diagram of who is saying they care about abortion versus health care. That healthcare circle, they do overlap for sure, but that healthcare circle actually hits a lot of the voters that they're bleeding right now. And that's where I think the abortion decision was a huge strategic mistake, because to me, at least the circle of abortion voters aren't the voters that they're bleeding and they're not that likely to stay home this time around. They certainly turned out in 2018 and 2020 healthcare voters have actually been bleeding over to the Republicans. That's where you're seeing the non-college educated white voters and things like that um, with high health care bills. So Andrew, I think that was brilliant advice. Well, uh, all right, Steve, 
Do you think foreign policy will be a bigger issue than normal in 24 with the Afghan withdrawal, China making more noises about Taiwan, Russia invading Ukraine? We're just skipping this election um, to Travis. Travis doesn't care about next week. It's We're now two years out from the 2024 election. <laughs> He's taking his cues from you. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I always think foreign policy, national security should be bigger parts of, of our elections. But... Um, you know, the, the 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 real answer, although it'll feel like a cop-out answer is, we don't know because so much can change so quickly. Um, you know, there could be something like an Arab Spring or there could be a, a terrorist attack or there could be- I will be... say though, putting on my Steve hat, uh, while I can see foreign policy staying the same as it is right now, which is to say not all that important, I don't see it getting less important. There's a lot of things that can make it more important yeah, but I think like, that's right. Things aren't going to get better on that front in the next two years. No, I think that's right. I mean, there were reports today about um, a potentially imminent a- attack on Saudi Arabia um, by Iran or Iranian proxies um, right. that allegedly the Wall Street Journal reported had the U.S. and U.S. troops on high alert in the region, um, Saudi troops on high alert in the region. You know, you can imagine any kind of a conflagration like that would not only be important for its own sake, but would have sort of secondary and tertiary effects on on everything, on the energy markets, on uh, on global economy. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. It does feel like <clears throat> the, the the escalating tensions with China are looking for a way to resolve, right? I mean, they're, they're and, and it's unlikely that they will become less important in two years than they are than they are now. So I do think it's it's likely to be a factor and maybe a pretty big part. Andrew, <clears throat> did you actually carve that pumpkin behind you? Is that a real candle in it? Like how much of this is real? Uh, I sure did, yeah. Wow. It's all, it's all real around here. Looking at it carefully, I thought maybe Holly did it. <laughs> I, uh, it turns out I did not have the tools. I mean, I don't know how much y'all want to talk about this. Uh, I had to you use knives and it's tools. harder. You know, you know th- those little, uh, you know, like the yeah. little thin, you don't like serrated knives. You don't it's, uh, you can knives. curve, you can curve with one of the, first Millennial. of all, they make them for kids. Jeez, so they don't have the sharp edges. Um, oh my but, gosh. but it, why I, did you carve a pumpkin? Like you have a one-year-old, you thought she would enjoy the magic of Halloween at one. Well, uh, we just, I mean, it's the first time we've done nice. it. We, she, she dressed up. Uh, we went to I'm a pumpkin patch with, with Declan and his fiance uh, last Friday. And okay. I think we went crazy and bought a pumpkin. They did not. The other two pumpkins there were the complimentary pumpkins we got for going to the patch. We had to spend for the big one. But, you know, I, I have no regrets. I have a good, you know, we, we sat, we roasted the pumpkin seeds. We sat around and we read Edgar Allan Poe last night with, you know, that, that thing on. And then today our power was out all day. Uh, and we, you know, we just lived our lives by the light of the pumpkin. So who's laughing now? Yeah. Many of y'all heard my <laughs> performance at the staff retreat talent show uh, on uh, the dispatch pot or on the remnant. But what you don't know is that Andrew and his wife did this incredible rendition, guitar and all, of Simon and Garfunkel's America. Um, and it was so good, like not funny. It was just really good. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't y'all, are, yeah. y'all are very quaint and roasting pumpkin seeds and reading Edgar Allan Poe. It is in a good way. <laughs> That's super um, for you. 
I'd love that for you. <laughs> Chris? <laughs> if he could, if she could pat him on the head. Adam, I would. That's right so there. sweet for you. I mean, that's Huge. like some relationship goals right there. It's very cool. Uh, but Chris, this is a real question that I am dying to know your answer to from Jacob Becker. Does a shock win by Democrats in the Senate, allowing them to keep control, change the math for Trump running again? Well, sure. Uh, the you have to treat Donald Trump uh, as what he is, which is running for re-election or running for election a third time uh, and as the front runner for the Republican nomination. Uh, but he's not the, I, there was a, a Tara Palmieri had an article where she was talking about Trump was going to clear the field. Uh, the, he was trying to uh, time his announcement of the official candidacy filing uh, to clear the field. No fields will be cleared, right? Uh, Ron DeSantis is out there. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the, the probably apocryphal story of um, how uh, Ty Cobb was forced out of Major League Baseball, which is there was a rookie player down at second base and Ty Cobb with his cleats all sharpened up said, you better look out, Sonny. I'm going to come down there and cut you to ribbons. And the second baseman, I can't remember who it was. It was a future famous baseball player. And he said, come on down, old man. I'm going to feed you this baseball. And he did. And he put Ty Cobb out and that was it. Um, Ron DeSantis is right there at second base, going to feed Donald Trump this baseball. And I thought it was so funny the way the Trump campaign tried to frame like, well, we're inviting Marco Rubio to come to our rally, but we're being mean to Ron DeSantis and he can't come. Oh, yeah. What a what a cruel blow to Ron DeSantis to not have to campaign before his election with the unpopular, highly controversial former president. What a just how oh, he must have just been crushed. Um, so Ron DeSantis is, is, is real tough. Donald Trump's fake tough. Um, and Rubio, if I bet Rubio would not, would have liked to have not had to have done that. Um, so I guess I'll put it this way. It doesn't matter what happens in midterms. It matters what people think happened in midterms. Democrats took the wrong lessons from 2018 that the progressive dawn had arrived, the red dawn. <laughs> I kid, I kid, mostly, I kid. But that the bold progressive democratic socialist moment had arrived. And that's why Kristen Gillibrand went from NRA endorsed moderate uh, upstate New York uh, congresswoman to Bernie Sanders adoring Medicare for all Green New Deal person. And they, they reached the wrong conclusions about what had happened. Um, if Republicans believe that an un, if the Republicans underperform, so think about, I'll shut up quickly, I promise. But if you think about the range of Republican outcomes goes right now from about a gain of 15 seats in the House to about 25 seats in the House. I dropped the plumb line at 20, but this is, a, this is about the range we're talking about. If it's in the low end on the House side, if it's 15 or even less, um, and in the Senate side, if they fail to take a majority after, because Republicans are getting really high on the hopium right now, they're like, we're doing it. They're, they're, they're back to where they were in May. We're doing it all. We're going to win every seat. Newt Gingrich is like talking about tsunami waves and they're, you know, they're doing that. They're doing that dance. If they come up short, it will be hard for Trump to avoid blame. Um. Now, what Republicans had better be ready for, though, 
is if J.D. Vance wins and Blake Masters wins and Herschel Walker wins and Mehmet Oz wins, which are all, which all range from possible to likely, then Donald Trump will, the, the, the mainstream press will agree with Donald Trump. It's his party and look at how well the Trump candidates did. And this will be, this will, it will not clear the field, but it will ice the field in a substantial way. People like Nikki Haley, people like Ted Cruz are going to look at that and say, uh, I don't think I, you know, I don't know if I can face up to that. I don't know if I can, the people who don't have the fire in the belly. So yeah, how Republicans perceive it went will matter a great deal. So there was a, a story that was going to be told, which is Trump had bad picks for these races. Republicans failed to take the Senate. Trump suffers the consequence in midterm in, in the primaries of 2024. But now we could tell the other story, which is in a really good Republican year, they got by not because of Trump, not because they were the best choice for the job, but because it was a good Republican year. And you could have run Mr. Ed and he would have got Wilbur. Uh, he would have gotten through. And if that's the case, then Trump will be strengthened for 2024. Uh, real quick, uh, Bernard asked, how many election denying MAGA candidates that the Dems supported during GOP primaries do you think will win in the general election? So it depends if you mean only the Chuck Schumer $53 million um, from majority pack. You know, he's looking pretty lucky on that one. That wave will have to be pretty high to sweep in, for instance, um, you know, the New Hampshire Senate candidate, something like that. But on the other hand, you know, some of these gubernatorial races are pretty close in Nevada, um, Michigan to some extent. Actually, Michigan was a house race, the Peter Meyer race. But look, in Arizona, um, certainly the Arizona Democrats meddled in the Republican primary that put Carrie Lake over the top. That one's looking likely at this point. Uh, so Chuck Schumer may avoid some egg on his face, but I think Democrats overall won't avoid that narrative. Um, and I think Carrie Lake will be the poster child of it. There could be there could be some more. I mean, the, there was a poll, a St. Anson poll out today. I don't know if you already talked about it um, in New Hampshire that has Don Bolduck up one yeah. over Maggie yeah, Hassan, yeah. Senator Maggie Hassan. And very interesting. Um, she was she did a, a local interview today. This is the Democrat incumbent in New Hampshire who's running against uh, General Don Bolduck, the Republican, who beat a sort of a, a more traditional Republican in the primary. And most Republicans thought, well, that's the, that there goes the chance to, to win that race. Um, Bolduck, after having been an, an open and aggressive election dyer, denier, stop the steel guy in the primaries, had this dramatic reversal. I think you went on Fox and Friends or something and said, hey, I've looked at this really carefully. <laughs> Joe Biden is the president. Um, I, I take, I've done the research. Yep. Joe Biden is the president. <sighs> and he just reversed himself. But he has since reversed the reversal and oh. is now back to sort of election denial. Donald Trump put out an additional endorsement after having endorsed him before. This is now, I guess, a new endorsement for the general election. And Maggie Hassan gave an interview to local New Hampshire uh, reporter today in which she was asked sort of generally like, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing of the question, but it was about, a, about Joe Biden. And if you want to have some distance without Joe, with Joe Biden, 
without really antagonizing the White House or making it a big story, you can say, look, I will be an independent voice for New Hampshire and blah, blah, blah. She did not do that. She said, I will be an independent voice for New Hampshire. I've always been an independent voice for New Hampshire. And the following are the various issues where I've challenged Joe Biden. And we strongly disagree on this. And she listed like six or seven of them. So this was an answer that she planned to give, had given thought to, and is seeking the story that will come tomorrow. Hassan looks for distance from Joe Biden or criticizes Joe Biden. So uh, I think they're, you know, I don't know if, if Don Bullock's going to win that, that race. The, he's been behind in the polls. They look like they're, they're tightening. Who's to say? But I agree with you entirely, Sarah. Some of those candidates are going to win. And, you know, I think it's shameful that they will have got enough Republican votes to win. But it's in some ways as shameful that Democrats who are warning the country about threats that these election deniers and stop the stealers present to a flourishing democracy, correctly so, uh, supported them with their money. Okay, uh, two questions left. Last substantive one, does anyone have any election night rituals, routines? I used to, by the way, when I was an actual operative, I always got jelly bellies for election night. <laughs> That's a good one. I had an election day routine. I don't you it's a running joke at the dispatch about how little I know about popular culture, how infrequently I attend uh, movies, watch television, um, whatnot. I always used to go to the movies on Election Day. Like oh, yeah. Early That's afternoon, nice matinee, nothing's going on. You're just you're just killing time. Chris and I were in uh, we were in we did election night stuff together for better part of a decade maybe a little bit more than a decade. <laughs> That's right. Um, we would go to these meetings that Roger Ailes ran at Fox News, and it was a, a pretty small group of maybe 20, 25, and we'd go over some numbers and talk about what was coming. Roger would always give the same speech about the need to be fair. Uh, he actually cared about the, and the news. And the need to and, be fair and to keep a good attitude. And to have a good time. That was That's right. Don't thing. look like somebody killed your dog. Don't, I, don't want, I don't want to see those long faces out there. Every time. Every, Every time. time. I know how most of the people of you here in this room vote. I could probably tell you down to the one of you, but I don't care. Yeah. When you're out there, you be smiling and you be having a good time out there. I don't want people to be thinking that you're you're depressed because of how the election turned out. Yep. Every time. Ironic. All right. Yeah. Last question was, what did the brisket dress up for for Halloween? So we are Houston. I mean, I'm from Houston. This is where my family is. So we definitely did some NASA love and some Astros love. Certainly, you know, astronaut mascot adjacent. Um, he loved it. It was his first trick or treating. And boy, you tell a kid that if they go knock on door, they get candy. And then it turns out that works. He's in, man. He's Halloween for life. <laughs> and, but the good news is the Phillies are up for nothing on the Astros. So keep Thank up you. alive. I'm about keep to up leave alive here. National League. <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as there aren't trash cans involved this time, frankly, it's a it's a moral victory. There you go. True. Uh, Sarah, I know it wasn't actually asked, but can I share my? my oh, yes. Halloween yes. I didn't too. want to like surprise you. No, no, you no, no, no. Have it up. But if you've gotten time. Yeah. I show got us up while you were talking about while you were doing the trash talk about the World Series. It's just uh, it's the very hungry caterpillars. My daughter oh. I don't know if you can even see that very well. But yeah, it looks is. great. All right. 
That's oh, all. sweet. She also looks kind of like a zucchini too. Uh-huh. That's really good. <laughs> she, could, she lost the hat. She could she could double as yeah. you know, Larry the cucumber or something. Yeah. Steve, uh, I don't really have. I'll do this one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. She was a witch. I love she it. She was a witch. It was good. My my youngest got his last turn trick-or-treating he's uh, just had just turned 12 and it was you know he had decided he was done and then a last minute decision and then he was going to do the thing where you see the teens dress up where they're not dressed they're like yeah. wear right. a football jersey cool. and like walk right. around cool. and I was like well that 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 won't work you've got to commit to the bit if you want free right. stuff you have to commit right so he he brought back out his full mountaineer buckskins and coonskin cap uh to go one one more time uh Cincinnati as the West Virginia University Mountaineer so that was good that's nice. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for all the great questions. That was really fun. And uh, well, this time next week, 9, 10 p.m. Eastern, things are going to start rolling in pretty quick, I think. Then a lot of them will be slow. But <laughs> uh, we, Steve, do, do we know what we're doing next week? Yeah, we'll be doing something. We'll, we'll be here for some of it. I think several of us have... Um, we'll have to sort of platoon a little bit. Chris, you've got probably some news nation yeah, obligations. Got, and I, I would I imagine. Will, I will say that I'm really excited because we're working with decision desk HQ. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be coming in hot uh, good. on election night. So that's going to be cool. And Sarah, do you have ABC obligations? I'll be on with David Muir all night. Uh, my last hit is scheduled for just before 2 a.m. <laughs> I don't have my hits, but I will be on. NBC uh, at some point and probably NBC now. Uh, I don't know if Jonah's on CNN, but we'll we'll find all that out. We'll put it in the morning dispatch. We'll tell you what we're going to do. I think we'll all be joining. We'll rotate through through here as well. Um, Maybe Declan and I so. will just come hang out with all of you people. <laughs> I mean, they, you don't do on, mi- they don't put us on. They don't put us on could- TV. You guys could do mystery science theater and watch. Yes. Yeah, watch us. Yes. Sarah. Yeah. Yes. Just <laughs> yes. I want Sarah that. Sarah and Jonah and Chris and everybody. that should be a regular feature. Why don't that's you do the that content? All the time? I, I think you need to that do that. Is a super way cut. too. Just no, that, so you know, I mean, that would be like perfect for journalists, like yes. journalists just watching other journalists so that they can talk about journalists. And journalists. Well, I, know, I know we have to go, it's but like my, my concept was for a channel called uh, Fox on CNN and a channel called <laughs> CNN on Fox, where they would just watch the other network and be like, can you believe these people? I'm sick I mean, of isn't that isn't that half of the programming at each totally. of those places? Exactly. Anyway? Brian Stelter, RIP. <laughs> Today, hilariously, I was on the ABC streaming um to talk about the midterms and my earpiece went out somewhere in the studio. They turned down the volume all the way. So I couldn't hear anything except knew when they were throwing to me, but like no question. And so I just had to say things in the hopes that the question was somewhat related to the thing I was talking about. It's sort of like the nightmare that you're showing up for a class that you didn't attend at the final exam. Like that's what my day was today. Um, so hopefully election night goes better. Bad dress, good show, like they say. Uh, anyway, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Audrey, Price, Steve, Andrew, Chris. We're working up to, to the end of this cycle just so we can now start talking about 2024 immediately. So we'll see you again soon. Bye.